Well, hello, everyone, and thanks for coming out this weekend. It's so good to be with you. It's good to be here on this Independence Day weekend, and uh, what a beautiful weather weekend we're having. I know we've had some that are hot before, and last year, I think my daughter was six months old. We had her in a winter hat to watch fireworks. It was so cold last year in July. That makes sense. Um, but anyway, uh, it's so good to be with you. My name is Joe. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here, and all i got to say is I'm really glad to be here in front of you, but I'm a little jealous. Because the set looks amazing, but where's my Mario Brothers cloud to float on? Like, come on now. Like, all right, that's cool. I love it. Um, it's very, very neat. Anyway, well, I want to go ahead and I want to jump right in because I'll be honest, I'm a little stoked. Ryan, uh, Pastor Ryan just finished up a great series last weekend called The Get To Life. And it got me really excited about what's possible. And the fact that like we get to live this life that God has called us to, and we get to be engaged in these different things that God has uh, kind of ordained and set forth for us. And so I'm excited to kind of jump right into this concept that's been on my heart for a little while called small acts but big life because I think a lot of us uh, we want our life to count we want our life to matter we want to kind of have a big life but we don't always know the pathway to get there and to make sure that we're able to impact not only those around us but potentially leave a legacy that lasts a legacy that um, affects the generation after us our kids and our grandkids and our neighbors kids and maybe even beyond that and if we tie ourselves to God I I think there's some really amazing things that can be happening um, in that concept. So um, I've been guilty of asking this question here before because I oversee uh, what, what's known as our shape process here at the church where we, we help you find your gifts and your strengths and what you're good at, what are you not so good at, um, and kind of help you, encourage you to find a niche in the role that God has created you for. But I've asked this question before. Um, if you could do anything with your life and know that you wouldn't fail, if you could do anything with your life for God and know you couldn't fail, what would that be? And I've gotten the spectrum of responses. I mean, I, I, gotta, I gotta be honest. I mean, some people have just said, like, I'll make it, you know, till the end. And other people have said things like, I would solve world hunger, right? They're like the massively, like these huge lofty things. I would lead everyone in my life, my family, my friends, my extended family to Jesus. I want them to know the incredible things about Christ that I have found. Like, these are the types of things I would do with my life. But very few people have answered that question in a way that is, has a vision for how they could move in those direction. Now, maybe uh, I don't know who you are very well yet, but I would challenge most of us that there's probably no one in the room that's going to end world hunger, right? Like, we want to work toward that, but like we're, none of us in the room are probably going to end it individually. We are going to end world hunger. Now, if you're angry with me about that statement, like, let's talk afterward. I want to get excited about working with you to end world hunger, apparently. But we need to have a vision of how we can be a part of these different things. When we hear about certain people's names, it's easy to remember and reflect on some of the big things that they've done, some of the big lasting impacts and legacies that they've left behind. For instance, let me just say a couple names, and, and these might be people that you recognize of having done, thing, done something kind of big before. Um, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, we went to college together. I'm just kidding, we didn't, but I got to sign up for Facebook in college, so there's something. Uh, Henry Ford, I'm not going to run around Thomas Edison, Abraham Lincoln, right? Like, I don't even have to say what these guys did, and they resonate. They're like, wow, yeah, I know those names because they did something. Their life is attributed to something massive, 
And the Bible actually gives us a lot of names like that too. And I want to kind of like drive us in because these guys, you know, Facebook is here, it's big, whatever. But one day it'll get surpassed with something else. One day we'll laugh at Facebook like we laugh at MySpace. You know, we'll, we'll kind of look and go, oh, Facebook, you're so old. Uh, matter of fact, if you're under about 15 in the room, you're already thinking, oh, Facebook's so old. Okay, like, but we know what these big lasting things are. Now, I want to get into a passage with you in Hebrews 11. So open up your Bibles to there. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some in the chairs. You can open up one of those. It'll be on page 843 in those Bibles. Uh, you can open up our Grace Church app. If you haven't downloaded that, it's a great tool. Make sure you utilize that. Uh, but Hebrews 11 is where I want to focus on, and it's going to give us a bunch of names of people that have phenomenal stories throughout the Scripture, and the things that they've been able to do along with God is just unsurpassed. It's incredible. And some of these might be very familiar to you. And I think we can learn a thing or two by looking at their lives and go, what was it they were invested in? What was it that they were kind of keying in on that can allow us the opportunity to maybe live a big life? So I'll be honest, this is kind of a big passage, but I think it's one that you're going to kind of get in. So we're going to read it together, not like you out loud and me out loud, but we'll read it together and uh, we'll walk through it here. So let's go ahead and start uh, chapter 11, verse 4, and it starts here. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and he became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would, rather, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Skip down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. 
By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, that's not Barack Obama, in case you were wondering, uh, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountain, living in caves and holes in the ground. Now, wow. Lots of big things in that passage. Lots of things that we might be so lucky one day to be kind of remembered in that type of a list. That God would recognize us as someone that kept the, the faith moving. That generations would remember the ways in which we would step out. Now, some of those things sound exciting, and some of those are like, well, I didn't, when I had a big vision for my life, I wasn't thinking about being sawed in two. Well, uh, well you can sign up for that, see the back of your program. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we have these, these glimpses of these people that did incredible things, and we can catch a few things here uh, and learning from them. The first thing that I think we see is that what we need to do is we need to have a vision for the future but realize that we're not always going to see it. You see, we have to have a vision to understand what our life could be involved in. What is it that my life could be connected to? What is it that my life could be engaged with? Something's telling me that beyond the humdrum of the day, beyond you know going to work day in, day out, kind of walking through the to-do list, getting stuff done around the house, you know, checking things off of our honey-do list, all those kind of things, like that's not necessarily the vision that we had for ourselves. As we want to look at the end of our life and one day someone will speak at a eulogy for each of us, I don't think that we want them to say like, wow, they did their chores well. Like we want to be attached to something bigger. We want to be attached to something more purposeful. You see, in steadfastness, when we connect with God, when we're regularly connecting with him and, and reading the scripture and in prayer, he begins to help us understand these types of things that we can be involved in. And I'll give you some examples here in a moment. But I want to first address what might we be stuck with? Like, what is it that if we don't have a vision for our life, why would that be? Now, some of us might be sitting here like, yes, I feel like I know what God wants me to be involved in, and I can't wait to even get out of here because I, I want to keep that momentum going in this particular thing. But some of us might be stuck. Maybe we feel like we're too trapped in a sinful pattern where we're like, you know what, there's no way that God could use me because I'm just, I'm stuck. I can't shake this idea. I can't shake this thing. I can't shape this way of thinking. I can't shake it. Well, how am I supposed to do anything for God when I'm stuck in this sin? Some of us might feel stuck because we're like, well, how on earth could God use me? I'm not some kind of masterful public speaker. I don't feel like I have any wonderful skills. You know, I can barely type two words in a row, let alone, you know, engage people through written stuff. Like, how do I, how, do, how am I supposed to do something for God? 
Or maybe you've tried something before and you're like, that didn't work the way I thought it would, so I don't want to do anything again. But see, that's the beauty of who Christ is. That's the beauty of who God is. God wants us to build on those particular things that are happening in our life. He's building that faith in us. He's building our ability to trust in him and allow us to follow him more and more and more with each step that we take. You might look ahead and go, oh, this vision that I have for my life, these things that I want to see happen, the impact that I want to make, it's hard. I don't think I can do it. And to a certain degree, I agree. I don't think you can. But I think you and Jesus, Jesus through you, there's some pretty incredible things that are in store for you. Even the scripture tells us that God has many good works planned out in advance for each and every one of us if we would only engage it, if we would only trust that the biggest reason that we're here on this life is to be an ambassador for Christ, is to represent him in each and every one of our relationships. In verses uh, 13 and 39 and 40, we'll re- I want to read to you 39 and, and 40 and beyond. It says this, that these were all commended for their faith. All these guys, all these guys we just read, they're commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Their trust in God was longer and bigger and much more steadfast than going, God, I'm going to do this today for 10 minutes, but if I don't see some massive dividends, I'm out. It was so much bigger than that. It was challenged to see that they were a part of establishing something much bigger. Verse 40, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. On the chapter 12, it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. God invites us to shed that sin that is entangling us and stopping us. He invites us to run after the things that are in front of us. God is trying to help us engage a life that he always had in mind. This is not something where we have to ask God, God, am I allowed to be a part of making an impact for you for the rest of time? He's created you for it. And so if we're feeling stuck, then I want to encourage you today, let's get unstuck together and let's work toward making an impact that is far beyond anything we could even imagine. Now, the second thing that I feel like this passage really lays out for us very nicely, if we really think about what's being said here in between the lines, is that faithfulness in the small acts of life are incredibly important You know, we read through all these stories We're like, man, Noah built an ark and he put two of every kind of animal in it and he saved the future of mankind. That is huge. What we forget to read in that is Noah spent at least 55 years building a boat. Like, I don't know about you, but if I told my wife Mandy that I was going to start working on a project at home and it should only take me 55 years... Like, that ain't going to go over very well, right? Like, she's mad that I don't have the landscaping wall done with her fire pit yet. I was going to start two years. Like, that was two years ago, right? And it's just a fire pit. This is a boat. And it's not like you could go down to the store, right, and go to Home Depot and be like, yeah, I'll take um, 
836,000 of those planks. I'll take, like, he couldn't do that, right? My brother and I, were, we were building a deck at his house two weeks ago. We had to go to Home Depot three times in one morning. Three times. Like, it was not good. Like, we would go, we would go back to his house, we'd put a couple bolts in, we'd get a board lined up and go, yep, forgot that. Hop back in the car, go down to Home Depot. You got this, 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 yep. Go back, put this, this, Back to Home Depot, like, we, we, if you want to build a deck, I am not your guy, apparently. Like, this is not good. But we had that. And you, we wonder why Noah took at least 55 years to build the ark. Like, he didn't have Home Depot. He didn't have Lowe's. He didn't have Ace Hardware. He didn't have, he didn't have Google. He didn't have YouTube. He couldn't go, like, how to build an ark. Like, that's not there, right? Like, he actually had to figure it out. Now, God was giving him instructions. Here's the thing. But it took a long time. And we read you built an ark, you saved animals, you saved humanity. What we don't read is, you pounded nails, you cut down trees, you made your own lumber, you worked on this for decades with ridicule, people making fun of you. What's that big thing? Don't worry about it, you're not getting on. You know, like... (laughs) (laughs) You can only imagine the things that God was helping encourage Noah through because he was being faithful in the small things. He knew, he trusted that God was saying, I want you to do this because it's going to pan out in the way that only I can see. Will you join me in that life? Abraham was willing to lead his family day after day after day to a place that he didn't know where it was. It's like a bad vacation with grandpa behind the wheel, right? It's like, I don't know where you're going. No, honey, I don't want to stop here. No, honey, I don't want to stop for directions. No kids, we're not there yet, right? Like, no great-grandkids, we're not. Like, he had no idea how long it was going to take, where he was going to show up. But he knew, day after day, I'm going to wake up. God said that my people, my family will far outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands of the beach. I trust that God is inviting me to be a part of something day by day, these small things day by day, because it will equal something big at the end. Even when we read the story of Rahab, the prostitute, as we read through the story of Joshua and the, and the walls of Jericho, if anyone thought that their life couldn't be used by God, Wouldn't it be someone whose legacy up to that point was the label that you're a prostitute? And yet God said, because you're willing to engage me, follow me, and be faithful in what I'm asking you to do, you're now a part of my legacy. Her simple acts of hospitality got recorded in this great, amazing, like, hall of faith. Because she was willing to engage the small things that God was challenging her to do. These guys, these ladies in this story could not have imagined the millions and millions and billions of people that would follow after God, after Jesus. They didn't even know the Western Hemisphere existed. And yet here we are, thousands of years later, worshiping God, telling their story. That's some incredible trust, some incredible faith, some incredible vision that God is saying, come be a part of this. And those small things that I'm challenging you to do will equal something very, very good. Now, 
I think Jesus hit this very well too. You don't have to turn there right now, but as I was prepping this weekend, I couldn't help but think of the words of Jesus as he gives us the, the parable of the talents. And you can read it later. It's in Matthew 25. Um, but Jesus talks about this story where a master goes up to a few of his workers and he gives them different amounts of money to invest and to work for his business, for his company, basically. And for one, he gives 10 bags of gold. For another, he gives five. For another, he gives one. And he comes back and he talks with all of them. And the guy that he gave the most to, the 10 and the five, he ends up talking about how they invested their lives. They invested what the master had given them. And he comes up with these words that have just resonated with me over and over and over again in verse 23. It says, this master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. I can't tell you enough about how much I long to hear those words from Jesus. Those words are not the words of salvation. If you want to come to the family of God, God offers that invitation to be adopted alongside him freely through Christ. But as followers of Jesus then, I want to hear that with the life that you've given to me, you did it well that you served well, you engaged yourself well, and that you allowed yourself to be used by me. Now the challenge of hearing those words, though, is I think sometimes, the, I know for me, maybe for you too, sometimes the lies of passiveness somehow equate subconsciously to the fact that I'm doing a good job. And here's what I mean by that. I know I've had seasons in my life, and I've heard some other folks say this every once in a while too, that if I live a good life, people will want to know why, and then I can tell them about Jesus. And won't that be awesome? Well, what I've experienced when I've slipped into that mindset is that people, especially in our society, assume you're a good person. If your neighbor mows their lawn and doesn't yell at their spouse, you're like, that's normal. That's what we should be doing. If, if, if your neighbor is willing to take someone out on a nice, respectable date, whether it's her boyfriend or girlfriend or, or their husband or wife, we, we expect that, that you would be a, a good boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. We assume that. You don't beat your kids. We assume that you would do that. No one has ever asked me, hey, you do life normal. Are you connected to some amazing superpower God that wants to offer me salvation forever? Would you please tell me about him? It's never happened. And what I've realized in those moments is that I'm like, that type of mentality is not leading me toward the well-done, good and faithful servant conversation. I feel like when we think about the small things in our life, we have to remember that there's this concept of addition, that zero plus zero plus zero plus zero is still zero. No conversations with anybody, plus no active ways that we're helping serve and connect with them, plus no ways that we're trying to faithfully engage who they are as a person, plus no mentions of who Jesus is and the hope and the wonder that that's input in my life is going to equal a zero impact. But on the other hand, a friend of mine once told me, and this is regard to helping someone know who Jesus is, 
That if a person who doesn't know Christ is on one side of the pond and knowing Jesus on the other side of the pond, it takes a lot of lily pads to understand and get to the other side where you can finally know who Jesus is. And there's nothing wrong with being lily pad number three. There's nothing wrong with being lily pad number seven if it's going to take 30. There's nothing wrong with that. You're helping that person step forward. And I am personally a part of that equation. I grew up going to church. I grew up going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night Bible study. Thursday night prayer meeting at my grandparents' house. My dad was the worship leader. My mom was the Sunday school teacher. My grandma played the organ. My grandpa was the preacher. I went to church growing up. Just a couple times. Rings a bell. I didn't give my life to Jesus till after I graduated high school. It didn't click. Now, I don't know how many lily pads that was. But my mom and my dad and my grandpa and all these people that invested their time into me and Dave, who was a great mentor of mine, they weren't wrong because they kept having those conversations. They weren't wrong because they helped lead me in prayer. They weren't wrong because they helped show me who Jesus was. It just took a lot of intentional investment into my life before I realized how much I needed and wanted Jesus. It was a lot of addition. It was a lot of small acts that led to this place to where I look back now and these people have a big impact on my life. You know, we can dream about certain things and I get to have those conversations sometimes with people. You know, it's the end world hunger. It's the change the face of poverty in the city of Akron. It's to help the homeless. It's, um, and sometimes it's even simple, right? It's, I, I need to restore my marriage. I, I want to raise my kids well. We have these conversations but oftentimes it's so lofty. We find ourselves in a place and it's, I want to jump from my marriage is not on a good path to I want it to be amazing. Can, is there some book I can read right now to fix that by tomorrow? Is there, some, is there some miracle sentence I can say to my kids that will snap them out of the funk that they're in? Is there some, you know, amount of money that I can donate to the homeless guy on the corner that will change his life? And we all know that that doesn't work. But the things that do work in those scenarios is the faithful consistency of small acts over time. If we want to see the homeless person on the corner's life change around, then we have to be willing to actually invest. If they've been on that trajectory for 25 years, how many conversations, how many cups of coffee, how many meals, how much vision casting, how much discipleship is it going to take? to help that person do a 180? How much investment is it going to take? But it doesn't have to be massive. I'm not asking you to buy the guy a house. I'm not asking you to employ him. I'm not asking you to... Just saying, without the small acts of investment, it's definitely not going to happen. If your marriage is not in a place that you're excited about, if your relationship with your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, a kid, a niece, a nephew is not where you want it to be, There's no grandiose gesture that fixes all of that. I had a family member not that long ago that had really um, kind of dug their heels into some things in my life, um, errantly, I mean that humbly, but errantly. And we were kind of estranged. They were mad at me. I didn't know know how to react to them, I'll be honest. And then one day they wanted to, like, hey, can we go to lunch? And they tried to take me to this fancy restaurant and you know, order a fancy thing. And they were hoping that this one meal, and I'm like, listen, I, I really appreciate that. I enjoy a good meal, obviously. Uh, but 
this doesn't necessarily fix, I mean, I'm willing to work on it, but we got to like rebuild this thing. It's, it's a natural way of thinking, but we can often accidentally avoid it. Now, when I think about having an impact for God, I, I think about a friend of mine named Andy. And a friend of mine named Andy, um, he was a drug dealer, a drug trafficker over three different states and uh, was working multiple different low-income apartment complexes in particular. Okay, he was doing some, uh, well, obviously some bad stuff. He had a tri-state little business going on here. And in one of these different apartment complexes, this guy shows up to their apartment and he starts coming back and he starts coming back and he's there two, three, four, five times a week. And he would just walk up to anybody that was there and he would talk to the guy and he would say, hey, can I pray for you today? And that would be the way he introduced himself. Just very straightforward. So anyway, I can pray for you today. And the person would respond one way or the other and they might ask like, what are you here for? Why are you doing this? And the guy would say, to be honest, I want to help bring Jesus to this apartment complex. I'd, I'd even love to see a small Bible study or a small church right here for you guys at this apartment complex. That's why I'm here. I just want to help you know the awesomeness of Jesus. Well, over the course of consistency over time, some people were giving their life to Christ at these, this apartment complex. Some Bible studies were starting up. Some things were starting to change. Even some life trajectories of these folks were really starting to be a 180 because Jesus was impacting their life. And this got my friend Andy really upset. Like, really upset. And when we think about stereotypical drug dealer type of stuff, that's how upset he was. He was legitimately having conversations with some of his compatriots on how to handle this guy that was sharing Jesus at the apartment complex. And I mean exactly what you think I mean when I say handle. He was getting serious. This guy's messing with my business. These people are coming to know Jesus and they're not my customers anymore. We've got to change that. So my friend Andy goes up to this guy and they have a conversation. And of course, he, he's a big guy. And he's walking up to him. He's like, hey, we got to talk. So they sit down and start talking. And he gets to place where like, they're going to talk again the next day because he didn't get everything out he wanted to get out. And within a week, Andy gave his life to Jesus. And that was about nine years ago. And since then, Andy has helped start about 13 of those type of Bible studies in different apartment complexes, just like the guy that led him to Christ. All because he was willing to have a simple conversation. I guarantee you, if I like mapped out what these guys do when they show up to these places, you'd be like, no, 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 really, where's the secret? No, 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 really. Like, okay, where's like the magic words they say? And I'm telling you, they walk up, hi, can I pray for you? Sure, what are you here for? We hope to bring Jesus here, maybe a Bible study or a church. Okay. And it's working. But here's why it's working. They're there regularly, at least once a week, consistency, small acts, over time. And Andy has since not only led uh, about 13 of those little pop-ups to start, he's led his wife to Christ, he's led his kids to Christ, he led his mom to Christ, he led his dad to Christ, he led his aunts and uncles to Christ. His His whole family believes in Jesus now, and they were able to celebrate for the first time in their family because just about five months ago, His mom passed away, and it was the first time they were able to have a celebration of life because they knew that his mom is now with Jesus. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, that's the power of the consistent small acts over time. 
Now, I'm not saying you have to suddenly go to low-income apartment complexes and start asking for people to pray, but you can. I want to encourage us that wherever we struggle to be consistent the most is where God's inviting us in. Those relationships in your family, God wants you to start working on them. The, the, the small, meaningful acts day by day are the things that start to turn the tide. It's not the grandiose. If you want to start making an impact with your coworkers or your classmates, you've got to do something intentional, and you've got to do it repeatedly. Start sitting at that lunch table. Start asking that guy to go to lunch with you repeatedly. Start talking about things other than the calves. That was exciting. The calves were exciting. But talk about more than the calves. Talk about life and start intentionally investing in them. And maybe you can be some of those lily pads, those small acts that lead to a big impact. What would happen if our faith could echo into the next generation? What would happen if our faith could echo into eternity? We could see people like Andy's mom in heaven one day because we were just willing to be faithful and have a conversation or willing to offer a cup of coffee or willing to take a guy out to lunch a few times. We all have people coming to mind, showing up in our hearts, and that's God encouraging you to say, these are the people that I've put in your life. These are some of the good works that I've planned in advance for you so that at the end of your life I can say, well done, good and faithful servant, as you've done these small things consistently over time. I've always had this mantra that as we look at things like homelessness or broken families, as we look at things like inner city poverty, especially with kids, as we look at maybe even a drug issue, even if we look at some of the massive political issues, they're not big things to be attacked. We, as individuals, are not going to end homelessness, but we can impact John and help him change his trajectory by investing in him long term. We can impact the neighborhood because we're willing to go there regularly. So whether it's something in your home, whether it's something at your workplace or at school, whether it's something in your community, or maybe it's even something around the world, wherever it is, regular commitment and investment over time is what builds a legacy. It's what builds an impact. It's what builds a big life. I've had that mantra that we need to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. And if we can do that together, if you'll work with this person, if I work with this person, and if you work with this person, and so on, we can see a lot of things change over the coming weeks, months, and years that will impact generations to come. I think... I've been challenging myself and prepping for this weekend, asking God, where do I need to invest myself so that I can hear, well done, good and faithful servant? God, where do I need to invest myself so I can hear, well done? Because it's not the one-time thing. It's not the big and grandiose. It's the I will invest and give of my life, and disciple, and help this person, these people. I will love them the way that you did, and watch happen what only you can institute to happen. Jesus is it. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is 
the very breath in our lungs when it comes to figuring out these problems of life. He's the very source of the strength that we need. If we're going to do anything, it's us and Jesus to do these small acts to make a great big impact over our life. Will you pray with me? Father, as the band comes out, I would just pray that we would really lock on to this idea that you've invited us, you've invited us to be a part of making a lasting impact in people's lives. That the hope and the incredibleness that is found in following you is available to anyone and everyone And that oftentimes it's the consistency of someone loving us that's brought us to faith in you in the first place. God, please give us a vision for what's possible. Give us compassion for the people that are in our circles. Help us to trust that you are in control and that you're working in those people's hearts to begin with. And if we would just say yes and follow you in doing these simple acts, we trust that you will do something so much greater and so much bigger. God, please do a work in us so that we can be a part of seeing you do a work in others. Father, we trust you. We lean into you. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.